There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 373. Um, I'm in Norman, Oklahoma right now, and uh, I had a super fun uh, time forming at University of Oklahoma last night, so thank you if you came out to that. People actually showed up, and everyone was super cool. Uh, we went and got pizza afterwards, so thank you, Oklahoma. Uh, I appreciate you. I appreciate your hospitality. I'll be performing in Philadelphia uh, June 27th, 28th, and 29th at Helium, and then in the fall, going back to Minneapolis to Acme, and then I believe Cobb's in San Francisco, in between that, we're doing our big show at the Baboa Theater, the Saturday night of Comic-Con, and we've just had our guests confirmed, but I can't announce who it is yet, but it's a good one. So uh, go to Nerdist.com slash calendar to see dates and ticket links there. Also, starting Tuesdays, we're going to be uh, doing practice shows for my Comedy Central show, which we are calling At Midnight, uh, which is on Twitter as the symbol At Midnight is our Twitter handle. And... Um, so 625, June 25th, July 2nd, we're doing practice shows, and then we're taking the rest of July off for Comic-Con and Course of the Force, then picking up again Tuesdays in August and September, go to nerdmeltla.com for the calendar there. Basically, at midnight's just going to be like a, kind of like a rapid-fire comic roundtable social media mashup show, so uh, it should be fun, and it's free, so come by if you're in the Los Angeles area, or make the trek out to Los Angeles, uh, because you guys are going to help us uh, figure out if the show's funny or not. <laughs> We're going to discover it together. The idea was basically just to workshop the show a bunch so that by the time it goes on the air, it doesn't feel like, what are we doing? Uh, so join us. Join us, please. Your, your help is greatly appreciated. And uh, I'd like to thank Audible.com for sponsoring this episode of the Nerdist Podcast. If you go to Audible.com slash Nerdist, you're going to get a free audiobook download. Listen Whenever, wherever you want, just like the podcast you're listening to, except they would be uh, pre-written, organized thoughts, <laughs> all, all put together, sentences that all are supposed to be one right after another. And if you've ever listened to an audiobook, you've probably got it from Audible.com and maybe didn't even realize it. They have over a hundred thousand titles to choose from, every genre. Audible's got you covered. Like our guest this episode, you could get your free book could be uh, Horton Hatches the Egg, narrated by Billy Crystal. So go to audible.com slash nerds, get your free audiobook download, and put some uh, organized sentences in your brain via your ears. And now the episode, which, as I said, is Billy Crystal, who we were able to get, uh, thanks to Disney and our pal Dustin, who works at Disney, we all went up to Pixar, and uh, myself, and Matt Myra, and the Nerdist News team, and uh, Jonah, I believe, was on assignment. 
His assignment could have been his honeymoon, but I can't remember where he was. Anyway, it was Myra and myself. Got to tour the Pixar campus. We saw Monsters University, which is delightful and opens June 21st, and you should see it. But I got to take one of my favorite pictures that I've ever taken before. It's up on my Instagram, which is the username's just Nerdist. But uh, it's me in front of. They had a giant Pixar lamp, which was like their outdoor lighting in their courtyard. And I'm just looking up at the lamp, and I envision that's the last thing you see before you get crushed on the Pixar campus. Um, so anyway, we had all that fun, and we still got to sit down with Billy Crystal, and he was fucking awesome. We've had a really good run of solid podcast guests lately but Billy was great he was super open really sweet um, there were no defenses up uh, he, he answered all of our questions and gave us so many wonderful details that were so satisfying to our comedy nerd molecules so I will shut up now so you can enjoy the Nerdist Podcast episode number 373 with Billy Crystal now entering Nerdist.com Um, so there's no real, this is very informal, we just talk, it's just like a conversation. This is informal? Yeah, it's very. <laughs> Can you believe it? <laughs> Shock. <laughs> wow. Have you been doing a lot of press today so far? Uh, I did about two hours of international, uh, yesterday I did 82 interviews in one day. Oh my god. Yeah, it was a lot. What's your favorite question? <laughs> <laughs> what are they like to play a mug? Can you, can you give your best scary face? You, yeah. That happened a lot. Oh, you're kidding. Come on, scare me. And you know, I'm on camera, and I don't really want to do a scary face for you, lady. But it was okay. People were good. No, please, just... Oh, gosh. Why don't you... I know. Why do they... Well, it's hard, you know, especially in the, in the shorter formats. They're basically just looking for a sound bite. And so they just want, like, a 30 seconds of something... Yeah, and I want you to look silly. <laughs> but they don't. But they it, they mean very well, and they were all great, and they loved the movie, which is the best. When you do a junk and they like it, it's so much better. How do you know? You just you could feel it, and they're sincere, and they really liked it. And when you also know when they don't, because they, they'll start asking about other things <laughs> and not the movie. So Billy, the Yankees have enough pitching. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, should we talk about the? Mo- yeah, 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 yeah. It's a Obamacare. Movie. Yeah. yeah that's <laughs> what are you? What's your take? Yeah. <laughs> How does this movie affect Obamacare? Yeah. I feel like uh, 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 I, I, there's no way I would ever expect you to remember this, but when you when Analyze This opened, uh, one of the very first kind of interviews... What are you doing? I just made a movie. Are you doing microphone. hand signs? No. Actually, yeah. No, don't do it there. That's better. Higher. Have you ever done this? So now you're right on the zipper. I usually have people do this for me. <laughs> oh, you bouge, you bougie asshole. We're good. I usually have people do this for me. What? Uh, Can we get Matt's uh, sweatshirt steward? Yeah, (laughs) please. Thank you. Anyone? (laughs) Uh, But I think it was like when Analyze This came out, they screened the film at UCLA, and you and Harold Ramis and Robert De Niro showed up. Yes, yes, yes. And I moderated that panel. Oh, you did? I did, and I was so nervous because you were great, and Harold Ramis was... Harold Ramis described the last third of the movie to me because I didn't see it, and he was super animated, and it was like, it was like a movie pitch. And Are you going to tell me Mr. De Niro didn't talk a lot? Mr. De Niro, not only did he not talk a lot, but you... Shocking. You totally saved it because I had written what I thought were like, oh, I'm going to do some real sweet inside the actor's studio Q&A here, and I hit him with some really pretentious, horrible question, and he was just like... 
I don't, I don't know. Uh, and so out of panic, I go, well, what's your favorite cereal? <laughs> and he didn't say anything. He didn't play along. And you just go, Captain Crunch, good night. <laughs> and it totally, then everyone laughed, and then I felt okay. But he was not, he was not, not having his, it. No, he doesn't, you know, that's not what he likes to do. And uh, <laughs> we, we did several junkets for both movies. And, and um, he insisted that I always do it with him. Sure. Which I really enjoyed doing because I, it was like Burns and Allen, you know. <laughs> I would so Gracie, how's your brother? And I would talk, Gracie would talk forever, and that's what I was like. So we're in, uh, we're in Paris, and it's for the sequel. And uh, it's one after the other, one after the other, one after the other. And basically I would just go on and on and be, try and be as funny as, and, and informative as I could. And um, I'd look at him and go, what do you think? Him, yeah, yeah, you know, he, uh, that's pretty much it. That's, 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 that's pretty much it. And that would be it, right? So this woman from Finland comes in who looks like she's a woman from Finland because <laughs> it gets dark at noon. Sure. Yeah. And so this is this untanned creature comes in looking so Diane Arbacy sad. <laughs> and she doesn't look up from her notes. And she says, uh, the first movie, you, uh, you, you had a... Good time is with the is the second movie, uh, with the be as uh, good a time with the with the two of you and Bob just looked at me and winked. He said, "Yeah, the second movie you haven't seen it." Said, no, I haven't seen it. Okay, what? In the first movie, I said to him, "If I talk to you and I go gay, I'm gonna kill you." So in the second movie, I go gay and I track him down and I kill him. <laughs> So she goes, really? And he goes, lady, move out of Finland. <laughs> it was hilarious. He hilarious. But, you know, some, some people like doing this and some people don't. And his work is on the screen, you know. And he's gotten better. He, he tends to want to do more things. But um, he's a very bright and private guy and, and, sure. and just joking around, which he'll do in private. He's really funny. Um, is great, but in these situations, he's not going to be as uh, loquacious as you may, may <laughs> sure. want. I wonder if, do you think that has to do with sometimes, some actors are actors because they like getting into, they like being other people, and they're just sort of weird, like when you ask someone, be yourself, and they go, I don't know what that is. Do, yeah. do, do you feel like there's a little bit of that going on? With him? Yeah. Oh, I just think he's a very private guy, and, and uh, he's an extraordinary artist and that's where he does his work he doesn't like to talk about it yeah you know louis armstrong i think said the best he said if i if you asked me to talk about why jazz works then i shouldn't be playing it <laughs> did you ever meet louis? did you ever meet yeah you did because oh, yeah. your, your dad was a jet ja- yeah. your dad was and a- my uncle produced most of louis some of louis great records yeah oh wow so i knew all those, most of those guys when i was young he was at a sadie he was at a passover sadie with us are you serious? Yeah. Yeah, I've heard him tell a story, and it's like, what the? Yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty much. I was uh, very fortunate that way. But it, it, helped, the, it helped the funny come out. I, I dabbled in clarinet for a little while, but, you know, once I saw Woody play, I said, well, now I can't, because I was like, you stole it from him. <laughs> um, but it, the, the rhythms of, of, of being funny was, was really uh, started with them, because I could imitate them. You know, as a little kid who could, you know, do jazz riffs, you know, joking around with them, learning jokes from them, loved the music, still do. And um, so that's where it began. 
Do you feel the rhythms of like improv and then improv jazz? Do they do they feel in your brain? Do they feel like the same thing? When you when you're working with a really good partner that way, yeah. Like Robin and I, um, off stage, um, in particular, have a real musical kind of thing going. And sometimes on we've done when we did comic relief together, we had some riffs that were really great. But our phone riffs, we we talked about it about a month ago. We should do an album or just go in the studio and just go. Yeah, because it's it's uh, we get into a very dark, weird, great <laughs> Derek and Clive kind of things, and it's and it's really fun. Yeah, it'd be really. I mean, that's that's essentially what a podcast is. It's like, oh, we might as well just record these conversations yeah. and make them available to people. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, we've had some great ones. Usually, after somebody famous dies, <laughs> where, where, the, uh, President Reagan passed away. Um, and they opened the museum, and it was televised, big televised, right? Television's thing, and it, the 747 is hanging there, and this whole thing about Reagan. <laughs> Phone. Hello. I see it's his... <laughs> uh, Bill? <laughs> hi, it's Ron. Oh, hi, Ron. How, how's everything? Well, you know, heaven's a lot hotter than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I said, hotter. Well, sir, you may not... It, this may not... Be heaven. Oh, well, that will explain why Nixon's balls are on the bridge of my nose. <laughs> and <laughs> we've just went on and on about that. And so, um, you know, I'm sorry if anyone's listening no, who no. is a fan of uh, Ron. But, yeah, and that's where we'll go. And then several other famous people have died. And, and I know it's going to be the guy who died. And it's, uh, there have been some pretty great ones. Pretty great ones. Oh, the death calls. It's perfect. Oh, it's a hilarious. What's the permanent charge on that? Not <laughs> only <laughs> the other side. Yeah. Um, I, I'm uh, I'm old enough that I remember watching. I remember watching Soap when it was on, and I was a little kid, but I was a huge comedy nerd, and so my parents. Yeah. I, they had I, somehow I had no boundaries. Like they, you know, that's great. Every Steve Martin album, Richard Pryor, you know, Soap, you know, your stuff. I remember you were on like uh, that that midnight special show. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing that, and I just rewatched it again the other day. Oh no! <laughs> what, what was fascinating to me about it is that it was there was a really long. It was the joke about hormones and the yes. now, yeah, now. yeah, 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 and and like watching you on basically network television dance around, yeah, saying I have a huge boner, but still <laughs> being able to get that idea across, yeah, uh, on on television. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that very well. I still do it do you? on occasion. I do. <laughs> yeah, was it was funny? Was it? Uh, do you, do you miss doing stand up? Uh, sometimes I do, Some, you know. But I, I get great satisfaction when I do, and I'm going back to Broadway with my uh, one person show, Seven Hundred Sundays, which really incorporates a lot of some of that stuff into a real story about the jazz world, about my life growing up, and that's more satisfying than doing stand up, stand up. Yeah. But uh, I have a book coming out uh, September 10th, <clears throat> which really started out to be material for a, a tour um, I thought it would be fun to go back out because the show is very emotional it's very funny but it's also a play yeah. but to, to go out and play certain size kind of venue and, 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 and get back out and say this is where I started this is what I do you know and I love doing it and, and the more I wrote the more they felt like essays yeah. and I said this is maybe a book better than it is a Stand up, but if you know, maybe both things could happen. Yeah. So I wrote like nine or ten chapters, 
it was right when I turned, you know, 65 and uh, last March. And it, it, it just felt right. And then they sold it as a book. It's coming out September 10th. It's called Still Fooling Them. And um, it, maybe sometime, it might end up as a, something I could tour with also. Oh, you totally could, especially because it, I think people, people kind of like those immersive experiences now where it's like you can read the book and then also you can see it perform live and yeah. you can see it, you know. I, yeah. think, I think it'd be really cool. Yeah, so that's what, that's so I do miss it on occasion. And, I, and uh, um, every once in a while I'm thrust into a situation that sort of becomes a stand-up kind of thing or just talking thing then that I didn't look for. Yeah. That that just it just sort of just pops out again. Yeah. Do you feel like when that happens you're like I wish I had the outlet of just going on stage and telling the story tonight? Um sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes oh I could get a, I could call the improv. I could be on at 10:40 <laughs> but then you walk into that that situation you know, because it's so changed over the you know the stand up uh thing is so changed uh you know watched and um and what what people want to hear, it, it's very akin to uh, to what happens in the movie world too. What we get bombarded with movie wise, this feels like the same kind of subject matter is talked about over and over again. Yeah, there's and, a few movies and, about the apocalypse this summer. Right? <laughs> oh my god! How many times can we save this earth? It's You've not. got 24 hours to save the earth. It's what? either it's an asteroid, a zombie, or something in a. Or zombie know. asteroids. Dead well, that's, asteroids yeah. coming back. Well, that's just sort of that's just sort of in the zeitgeist. But I don't. I think if you I think if you look at any gen- generation, they all are like, "This is the worst period of time that's ever happened." I'm but not saying that. that on us. I'm we not saying say that. that. I didn't no, no, say that at no, all. No, I'm just saying I'm saying like that's where all these movies are coming from. Is that everyone thinks oh, that, it's that yeah. yeah that it's just something that's in the air? But I think I think the reason everything feels is worse is because we are seeing all of the information on all of the world at all times. And there was a time when you, you didn't know what was going on, or you didn't know that people were dying everywhere. You didn't know that, and so there was a there was a little bit of blissful ignorance that went along. With yeah, it. I mean, I I liked when we didn't know everything. <laughs> I mean, I resist I resisted this until recently, only because I have little kids, you know, yeah. that I got responsible for. So <laughs> I I, um, I hate the knowing everything. It's like, you know, magicians shouldn't tell their tricks. And there are shows where they tell their tricks. Yeah. Or there's an app that'll say, <laughs> you know, all the trick. I, I want to know it's a trick. I want to figure it out for myself. There's also an interesting thing that's going on with stand-up now where when you perform, someone can just either record your show or they can take jokes and then put them up. And like, or, if they didn't, or if they didn't like something, they'd be like, hey, this comic's... Like, it does not just stay in the room anymore. No, there's no secrets. There's no secrets. And, and that um, sometimes keeps me from saying certain things in certain situations. Um, I'm surprised I did the thing about Robin, but it's okay. <laughs> um, he won't mind. Um, but, yeah, that, that's, uh, everything is uh, everybody's business now. Yeah. But when I, when I think about all, all the comics that I was influenced by when I was growing up, and uh, your your stuff was, you were the guy who like had really performance based material. Like it was like it was there there were characters and as opposed to just a, like a lot of words. Yeah. Um, so it, it seemed like it made sense to me. Like especially when you shifted to SNL or you went into acting. Like oh yeah, of course because that I always felt very at ho- I always felt very at home in, in the theater. I always felt like I was an actor who could do stand up. Even though when I first started, I was a, just a pure stand-up guy. I always could. I always liked 
doing characters. I always liked doing... The first time I was on SNL, you know, really on SNL, I did the uh, old jazz guy. Mm -hmm. um, the piece is called Face. It was when Ron Nesson hosted the show. who was uh, uh, President Ford's press secretary. Was so, that the Can You Dig It? I knew that you yeah, could. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that was that hook and that thing. And then, um, so, you know, it was always, always kind of... They were always sort of theatrical takes on every, whatever I did. Yeah. That was a pretty stellar season of <clears throat> SNL. Or was it what, two seasons or one, one. season? It was Eight, just one. Only season. 18 shows. That's insane. It feels, it feels like it was so feel much like more we were than there that. for oh years. I know. Like it was you and Chris, Christopher Guest and Harry Shearer. And, and Marty Short. And Mar Martin Short and Pamela Stevenson. Yes. Who later would become my therapist. Yeah, did she really? <laughs> she was. Wow. <laughs> Uh, for a, pretty, a while, pretty, pretty, pretty therapist. <laughs> she was well. She was, and she also, you know, I've talked about this in the podcast before because she was married to Billy Connolly. Yes, who's a great comedian, amazing. And so I was like, wow, here's a woman who was a comic. She understands me. She's married to a comic, and she did. She was great. And then she went to write a book, and I never saw her again. Like, she's like, I'm on sabbatical, and I'm like, did I break this relationship? And then I never, I never saw her. Yeah, again. we had we had a great year. Um, for me, it was like the time of my life, and. Um, and to work with all those guys and be in that, that studio is the greatest studio to work in. Um, it's the Yankee Stadium of, of comedy venues, yeah. Studio Old 8H. Yankee it's, yes, <laughs> it's, it, totally right. Um, and uh, we, had, we had great fun. I mean, it was... Uh, a lot of characters came out of that year. Oh, my God, so many. That's why you think it's like two, three well, years worth yeah, Listen, we were in our, we were, I was 36... Chris is a little young, a little older than me by, by like a month. So we were old. I was 36. Marty's two years younger than I. So you had mid-30s guys who had a lot of uh, experience. Marty was coming from SCTV, and, 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 and you know, Chris and I had done so much uh, stuff together just as friends. And, and, you know, uh, and then you know, we were there, and our sensibilities were different. So we did a lot of film stuff that yeah. worked really well. And, um, you know, the synchronized swimming and the lifestyles of the relatives of the rich and famous. Um, uh, Chris and I did, I thought the best piece that he and I did was a piece called Ball Players, where we played two 75-plus-year-old uh, uh, Negro League baseball players in a really beautiful I remember, film. I absolutely remember that. Beautiful. When they were doing that, like, those, the, like they were doing those, like, films, like the, the, yes. really, like the short film. Yeah, but this was eight minutes long. Wow. And, and we have two hours of stuff, and, you know... Uh, that was great. So, um, and the synchronized swimming was hilarious, and the Minkman brothers. And the Minkmans, then, yeah. And then live, you know, there was uh, Ed Grimley, and it was the Fernando, and and um, the Jackie Roger Jr. One hundred thousand dollar jacket. I was going to tell you, I still have on VHS tape, complete with the commercials from that time. Wow. I know that sketch back to front. And that was one of the first things I said to Pamela. I was like, you played Jackie Rogers. Oh, you also did the, you did the Dean Martin Rose. <coughs> Excuse me, yeah. Um, yeah. Was that, now, I, I, for, for years, I had always said, I I'd always, two. I'd remember, you could do the Muhammad Ali one. I did Muhammad and I did uh, uh, um, uh, Gabe Kaplan. Well, I had always, I'd always remember In the, the same <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> you would do one or two. It was at the MGM Grand in Vegas. You'd do one or two and another one at four. And um, they would just pluck the guy's caricature off and stick up the other one. And then that was it. He's the man of the week, you know. <laughs> was there an audience there? Did yeah. they? Oh, there was. Oh, okay. Yeah. I All was right. in a big performing room with the Grand. Oh, wow. But sometimes, uh, I remember Greg Garrison, who was the producer of those shows, who was Dean's producer. Big uh, Marine-type guy, scary guy. He, when he brought me in, I was 25 years old, something. He said... Um, Listen, if it's going to go good, you know, but if you don't get a laugh, it doesn't matter. 
because look who I cut to. And he had all of these tapes. Orson Welles will be laughing. <laughs> Jimmy Walker will be laughing. Sinatra will be laughing. So, and then they did a pickup where Rickles wasn't even at the roast, but they shot him on an empty soundstage in Burbank from the waist up and uh, all in close-up at the same-looking podium, and he shot his in Burbank, and it was, it was oh cut into the God. show in Vegas. Yeah. That's amazing. What, what did that experience, what did that feel like as a young comic? I mean, at that point, that's in the 70s, you're a, you're a young guy, you're yeah. a young stand-up, yeah. and then here's all of these, you know. Oh, it was great. I tell you, meeting Dean Martin was a really good, that was a big deal. Because of Martin and Lewis, and because his variety show was one of the great variety shows. That Dean Martin show was one of the last personality uh, shows a real beauty. He and Flip Wilson had really great variety shows when yeah. they when you could do that. And of course, you know he was a he was just he was a very impressive looking guy. He was very handsome, but he was very Dean Martin. It was so old in the best way. I, this is going to sound terrible. I don't know, it was the best way he was like a real old-time guy. Yeah. It was almost like meeting a great gangster. Yeah. yeah. You know, he had such charisma. And he was a terrific actor, you know. He sang, he was charming. But through the TV screen, people adored him. You know, they just trusted him. Yeah. He was very cool, and it was okay to be drunk. He was always <laughs> talking about how drunk he was. Well, you know, it was amazing. Um, Just think about it. Like in Johnny... Johnny was the superstar of all superstars. He and Ed would talk about their hangovers and their divorces <laughs> for 30 years. And it was pretty. It was and the pretty. time Ed got too drunk and came back to work. Oh, my God. God. It's hilarious. <laughs> and they'd smoke cigarettes. They'd, yeah, they'd, they'd smoke cigarettes. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. come back from commercials. It was very cool. Out and then, like, yeah, it was very cool. And then Rickles broke a cigarette box. Yeah, he had to go next door to CPO Sharky. And like, <laughs> all right. That was... You, you guys are nerds. <laughs> oh, man. You know too much. We know a lot of We know a lot of stuff. You're sort of like you're very hip James Lipton type guy. Without the dark beard and the blue cards. What is your favorite? Actually, I, I did really enjoy your uh, behind the actor studio because you said something as a comic that, I, and I'm still trying to figure out how to implement it, even after you know 15 years. But um, but when I saw it was, it was something about like you know as a performer you leave a tip like yes. you leave you leave which essentially like you leave the audience something to take home with them so yes. they. I remember you. Yeah, it was advice I'd gotten from an um, <laughs> amazing guy who was the head of our management firm named Jack Rollins, mm-hmm. um, who's still alive, 96 years old, who um, you know really um, uh, nurtured Woody Allen's career from stand-up to uh, you know to a director, and um, he, along with Charlie Jaffe, were the producers of his shows and so on. And I was I was signed into their office, and. Um, I did a really hot set at Catch a Rising Star. Very, I, once I launched myself away from this, the two other guys I was with, cause the group was called Three's Company, and I, I had to go on my own, and I already had a baby, and, and you know, I, I, just, I was 26, as if I, I better do this now if I'm doing it. And I did one night and at a college on my own, just like behind their back, and I felt like I was cheating on them, and it went great, and it went that Fuck it, I'm going. And then I started to catch right, so, and I can't, it's like, you know, like, I, I just came out with, like, a vengeance of, like, oh, and such enthusiasm, 
you know, not unlike Mike Wazowski in this movie. <laughs> you have to work the movie. Yeah, that worked out. It was great. And, yeah. And um, I just wrote, 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 wrote real fast. And I, suddenly I had 20 really good minutes. And Jack came in to see me. And I honestly, I killed. I just destroyed. It was, I had stuff that was really strong. And I did great. So now I'm going to sit down with him afterwards for the, really the first time to talk to the to Jack. And Jack's persona was he was very much like a um, an English um, professor at like Columbia or something. He was a very he had big bags and like Duke Ellington eye bags <laughs> and tons of dandruff on his shoulders <laughs> and and um, sort of dour but loved to laugh and very smart. And so, but I'm nervous. I'm sitting, you know. He's Woody's guy. And he said, how'd you feel it went tonight? And I said, I, well, the audience went great. And he went, I didn't like it. Oh, shit. And that's inside I'm going, I'm Norman Bates now. I'm stabbing him <laughs> constantly. And, and uh, probably thinking like, this fucking guy doesn't know what yeah, he's talking about. Because my thought was he's going to say, I'm not going to handle Woody anymore. Right. It's just, <laughs> just going to be you. And he explained why. He said, listen, it, it all worked great. Audience loved it. But it was like um, Chinese food. It's really good, but you can't remember what you ate later. You didn't leave a tip. And I went and said, you got to, it's a little extra something that's you, that you leave with them, that, that even if it doesn't go as well, they know you when they leave. They'll say that, they'll know your name, and they'll go, that guy, you leave a little extra something, a little extra tip. Um, talk about you. I know what I'll leave things. I know what this guy thinks. I know what because I was doing a lot of impressions and what he referred to as toys and games. Oh wow! And, and um, tomorrow night, we know this works, and you could make a lot of money going around just doing this stuff. F- fine, but you're not going to get any better. So tomorrow night, don't do any of this material, and and you never said the word I in any one of your sentences. I feel. I think. Uh, I want to know what you think, and uh, be prepared to bomb. It's really important. Don't work so safe. Oh, my God. And it was like the best material ever. And then the next day I came in and I did exactly what he said. I bombed. And, but I was talking about, you know, I had a baby. Talk about that. You know, one of the comics were married or had kids. So that also set me apart a little bit. So now I'm talking about natural childbirth, which I did on an early television show. You know, in the 70s, that's what I was talking about because that's what my life was like. And that made me better. Wow, that you—that is—you're so lucky that you had that guy. To Just tell that you moment, that. I've had, but all of them in the in the office who I'm still with, and the ones sitting over there. <laughs> but that that stuff still comes up, and and that's what I always achieve. To I listen to that, you know, is 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 that, and then and then when I, um, one of the managers, um, it's Larry Bresner sitting there, but his partner Buddy Moore was my main guy, and then he had me playing places where I shouldn't play. As well, like where? But Playboy clubs, oh, yeah. um, oh, wow. around which were like, I, you know, I remember when those were a thing. Yeah, yeah like but they Chicago were like, or, yeah, yeah, Chicago, Denver, San Francisco, Atlanta, New York. They were all these places. They're all the same. Yeah, they were like McDonald's with tits. You know? <laughs> and then, you, but you could, the you com- the comedian always uh, closed the show. The singer did twenty minutes, and you did twenty minutes. And that was the show. Oh, wow. And they had dinner and the bunnies and that whole thing. And you did two or three shows a night. Weekends, you did five shows. Oh, Holy shit. And they usually had two performing rooms. So the, the, the singer would start to show upstairs. You'd follow him. <laughs> he'd go downstairs and start the show downstairs. You'd follow him downstairs, walk on downstairs. He'd start the show upstairs. Then wow. you'd follow him upstairs. 
And so that was that was a, a circuit that um, mostly businessmen, that, uh, sometimes with their wives or, you know, that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, when you're 26, 27, starting out, you know, wearing a sweater and jeans, that, you know, that's not the place for you. Right. But you had to learn muscle and how to reach them. Yeah. So that was that was pretty cool, too. I like to imagine that all those Playboy <laughs> clubs, they just boarded up, and if you were to go to a skyscraper in Chicago, they'd open it up and just all these corpses would be inside. I think these bunny ears. Because those were huge. Every, they were and then huge. they just, like, almost vanished. But they paid very well. And um, you, you could do a week. You could do ten days. Um, some were at resorts, like in Wisconsin. It was a ski lift. and oh, wow. I played in San Francisco. Um, the Playboy Club here yeah. uh, for a couple of weeks, and it was it was it was it was okay, but but um, then uh, I went into a there was a great network of clubs. So there was the <clears throat> a place called the Other End in New York, which was originally the Bitter End, which was the oh yeah yeah I've it was a great place. That was a giant place, and Buddy booked me in there for five weeks. So I opened for everybody who came in, and I ended up. I ended up headlining at the end of that because I got some nice notices and people started coming in. <clears throat> so that was cool. And then one night I'm on stage. This is a legendary stage there. It was the, really the first brick wall uh, nightclub, um, uh, you know, which always used to make me laugh when uh, bin Laden was in front of a wall. I said, well, he's at the improv and <laughs> just go to the improv and, uh, you know, he's leaving, a, he's leaving a tip. He's leaving a tip. <laughs> it's a deadly, uh, deadly tip. Take care of your waitress and uh, death to America. <laughs> I mean, take care of your waitress. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, when he bombed, he really bombed. He really bombed. And uh, I'm on stage, and uh, I see somebody in the back that sort of looks familiar as I'm working the stage. And the, it was a very uh, wide room out to the sides and narrow in the front. And the people in the front sat in church pews. It was, it, yeah. It was, it was, it was a really eclectic. Fred Weintraub, uh, Paul Colby, ran the place, and it was Dylan was there, and everyone was. It was a great place. And I see Bill Cosby standing in the back of the room. Well, Cosby was my guy. Um, still to this day, I think the best stand-up comic, um, probably uh, of, of definitely of his generation, along with George. Because uh, they'd never stopped being who they yeah. were, mm-hmm. you know. Except Bill could act, you know, and and did TV and stuff. And of course, uh, later the Huxtables and all that. But his early stuff, you know, I Spy and yeah, of course, he was great. But I related to him because he could, would he didn't do jokes. They were they were embedded in the story, in the in the smartness, and and that was a bit. And there he is, you know. Holy shit, you know. I wow. And he came backstage. And was more than encouraging. Came back several times. We'd go out next door. There was a place called the Dugout next door, and we'd sit there. And for a long time, he would just come and sort of mentor me. And then it was great. And then I I started doing, you know, do the Tonight Show, do this and something. And and then there'd be a phone message. Hey, it's Bill. You're just talking. I love it. Don't let him see you work. Oh, my God. Never let them see you work. And you're doing it. Uh, take care. I hope to see you soon. Click. It was very cool. It was very cool. And is that the thing that you think you took away from that the most, was, was being able to... Don't let them see you work. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to, you work your jokes in, but don't let them see that they're jokes. Let them yeah. just, just let it be funny. Yeah. 
Well, I guess it'd be the same as if you were doing close-up magic, and they're like, "Oh, I see your card going in the thing there. It's gotta, it's gotta be seamless." Yeah, and she, you know, I would, I remember times when I would watch him, like in Vegas or something, and Bill would be on a tennis court until five to eight, till he'd go on, and he'd walk on with a towel around his neck and a sweatsuit, and just sit down and start talking and have a glass of water. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'd be in bed till four o'clock going, oh, the, what the, 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 the joke, what's that opening blind, you know, so until you go trust it and just go out there and know where it is and, and do it. Yeah. Well, that's happened a lot. I mean, I, I, because <coughs> now I've been doing it long enough and I've seen co- uh, comics that I know now and I've seen them all, I've seen a lot of them make that turn. Like with Louis C.K., for it was like he used to, like he used to, he used to be a really great, Oh, he'd tell these really great, weird scenario stories, and he would come out with punchlines that you never saw coming. But it, when he started talking about his kids and his family and himself, like everything changed. He's, like that, he, and he's leaving a tip. Yeah, you know, it's it's it's, it's um, it all just comes down to just tell the truth and just bend it a little bit. And is that? I, and that's probably. I think that's probably why one of the reasons why people like you hosting the Oscars is like because you just seem like a guy that you're sort of on their. You're you're the audience. Like you're basically on the well, audience side. Well, when it was side. when it was at, when the the good ones are when it would they they feel like they're informal, even though it's a formal event. You try to make it as relaxed and just talk to them and and don't feel like you're coming out as as the jokey host. You work your jokes in, but be in command. Yeah. And I always you know know where you're going and try to be entertaining and then get out of the way. Did you freak out the first time? No, I was so ready the first time. I had done three Grammys. I had hosted the Grammys three times before the Oscars. Yeah. And we did a couple of comic reliefs, three or four. So I was, uh, when, when Gil Cates, uh, who was a great guy, um, may rest in peace, asked me to do it, I was really ready. I had presented the year before, and it went really well. And I, was, I, I couldn't wait to get out there. I, wasn't, I didn't freak out. Well, it's, it's hard, and I feel like they, they, they try to... They, they try to replicate you in the sense of like, oh, we'll put up one of their own, and that'll lead them through. And it's like, yeah, but hosting is such a specific muscle. It's not just someone who's funny. It's not just someone who can act. Like, it is to, to lead an audience in that way is so specific, and they never really seem to figure that out. Yeah, it's a, it's a I don't know, I felt, always felt pretty comfortable doing it and, and knowing your job. <clears throat> and hoping to be entertaining, and, you know. And then we we came up with new stuff that hosts hadn't done before, the films and the music and all of that stuff to make it a performance. Because most of the shows didn't have any, no more dance numbers in it. No, you know, the Oscars suffers from the fact that they have no performance stuff. It's not like the Grammys. Yeah. You know, it, it, here's a clip. Do, well, then do it live. Do the scene live. <laughs> Act it out. Act it out. You know? um, wouldn't that have been great to have, like, Brando and Rod, Rod Steiger do I mean, the, for an acting you know? award, it kind of makes sense. Some, they, do it at the, they do it at the Tonys. They yeah, should absolutely true. do it at the Tonys. They should absolutely. But, but, but film acting is also not theater acting. No, it's so, not So I, don't think, I think not a lot of people are like, whoa, wait, what, what is this? Yeah. What is Boy, what? they're not that good. Wait, what? <laughs> He's nominated? And then they do no, the so, same. You, so we would fill it with as much entertainment as we could. Yeah. You know. And when you went back, did it feel like, oh, yeah, this, oh, this, of course, this. Was it fun again? Yeah. There's, some of it is. You know, the... But, you know, the, the, the show is what the show is. You, you, you know, you come in with the protect yourself the best you can and hope that you're f- funny and, and hope that the producers have a plan for the rest of the show that's going to be entertaining. The show is about moments. If moments happen, um, then it's a great show. You know, 
and the host always it's a sort of a you know it's it's a, not a win-win thing because you know if if the show is good it's it sort of was expected it was good and if it's not then you get creamed yeah or they you know one year <clears throat> uh, was it the Lord of the Rings um, won everything and they got upset people got upset about the show <laughs> and you go well what? it won everything what, what do you there were no surprises there were no well it won everything. <laughs> And it somehow became my problem. Yeah, you know, that's that's what, well, Jesus. Yes, because as the mouthpiece of the show, you are responsible for every production aspect and every element. Yeah, so, you know. So. I, think they, I, I think everyone takes it too seriously. Now. Like, it's so serious. It's like the most serious it's thing office. in the world. It's awful. This last time, you know, with, with Seth and everything, and, and, and the year before, like what I talked about before, it's so much scrutiny. Now, I don't know why anyone puts themselves in that position yeah. because it's so nasty. It's yeah. so, it's, Tina Fey it's, was smart to be like, I, they were like, are you going to host the Oscars? She's like, no, why would I ever want to yeah. do that to myself? And it's a, it's a shame. It's just too much scrutiny. There's After all, to complain about it now. You bet. Yeah. Don't you feel like a lot of, I feel like a lot of them, if, if you read the reviews, you go, you wrote that before the show even came on. Oh, yeah. you bet. <laughs> you, you bet. You were just yeah. going to be fucking mad about yeah. it no matter what you happened. Bet. And, and um, you know, uh, I think I faced some of that and then, there, you know, there's, there were certain writers that you go, oh, boy, exactly what you thought. He wrote this two days ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he wrote this when it was announced I was going to do this. <laughs> he hadn't even seen anything yeah. yet. He just left one spot to drop in a specific bit, and then he's yeah. like, done. <laughs> yeah. And then, off, you know, this is the first time I was talked about, so, you know, you know, it is what it is, but you can't ever... <clears throat> fight back to these people because then it's, whoa, he's so, so thin-skinned. Yeah. And you want to go, motherfucker, you just <laughs> killed me in front of everybody and I just, you're wrong. Yeah. You know, it's so your opinion, but, you know, the whole job of a critic is a weird thing to me anyway. It is weird and I almost feel like when I when I you know when you when you read what critics write and a lot of times I go, well, I don't know if you're actually the best qualified to write about this because your whole job is to pick things apart, and you don't have the same point of view that a random audience member would have, who would just go and just want to be entertained. You're not going to see every little thing. You're not looking at the matrix code. So it kind of feels like it doesn't really represent what how. No, it doesn't. It doesn't to me. No. Does it feel different now than in you know than like in the in the eighties? Yes. Uh, okay. No, because what yeah, you, because what, there's, what, so many ways. there's so many places yeah. for people to be upset with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, like, something would air at night, you know, and then your newspaper already went to print. Sorry, we can't do anything about it. I'm like, ah, oh, forget it. Or even, like, when a, or even, like, <laughs> when a, movie, when a movie comes out, you know, and now it's just so hyper-dissected. But, um, you know, you, you make a movie before, and it's like, oh, people are like, oh, they didn't like Okay, all right, well, yeah, we'll make the well, next one. Well, you know, in the old days of, I have to sit out, boy, I'm going to sound like a, in the old days. Um, no, but bef- <laughs> prior to this time. <laughs> uh, just say in the 1900s. Yeah, right. Um... There were like two or three critics that in television that you know that you would read. One of them was a very good one out here named Howard Rosenberg. Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, who now teaches at USC? I found out. And the other was uh, Tom Shales. Tom Shales. And um, and then um, that was. I can't think of any others that were really. T- and now there's uh, a couple hundred million of them. It's ridiculous. Anyone who can press send is now a critic, and um, y- you have to really steal yourself from the temptation to read the... Oh, I'll read... I'll take a look at the comments. Why do you comments. think we do that? I'll take a look at the comments. Do, do, what, oh, 
water and I look, and then yeah. you break out into the okay. sweat. We always refer to it as emotional cutting. <laughs> it's like, it's like you, if you're yes. going to do this, you're like, well, I'll just go, oh, ah, oh, gee, oh, oh, why? And then you oh. read more. I go, I'm having a pretty good day. How can I make this worse? The internet. <laughs> Maybe it'll get better. It didn't get better. God. Yeah. Oh, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it takes, it, it really takes a lot of fun you out of it. You don't know my mother. What is going on? <laughs> oh, my God. They really They're go. Horrible. They really go, horrible. man. These anonymous people who live oh in their parents' God. basements. They really when go. You, when you were, so, <laughs> when it, or were there movies before that maybe that maybe some critics shit on that ended up becoming like When Harry Met Sally, like movies that are now just a part of like comedy movie canon of other other people's movies? Yeah. Uh, I don't know, but that's a good question. I mean, are there anywhere you where you can look back and go, "Ha, see, you were you were wrong." Gee, I don't know. I don't know if I paid that much attention. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Um, I would have. I keep a detailed list. You did, yeah. No, I don't know. Fuck yeah. you. City Slickers 2 was great. <laughs> you know what? Great. It's a really funny movie. <laughs> I love both of them. <laughs> I want to uh, just uh, uh, when with Harry Met Sally was it? Was there a lot of improv on the? Do you like to yeah. improvise? Yeah, the, there was a lot. There was a lot in rehearsal that ended up in the finally the in the movie, and there was a lot. Um, Rob was the best director, uh, not only for that movie, but there was a time period where he just did one after the other that was just great. Yeah. Um, the the scene that was really the, every of the, every one of the scenes had improvisation in it, um, either in rehearsal that led into it. In the opening, when I first meet her, driving the grapes, the grapes. The, <clears throat> there's a lot of outtakes of stuff like that. That was not planned. Um, <clears throat> but the Pepper Pepper scene was all improvised in the uh, Temple of Dender in the museum. Oh, wow. It was an idea I had when we got to the set uh, that I'd been toying around with that um, Harry's falling in love with her and he sort of doesn't know it, but he sort of does and and she really likes him, but they're not ready yet. And then when you start liking somebody, you you have a silly voice that you do, or you do you, some little something, ekes out. And so I, Rob said, "Try it." So I said, "All right." And then I came up with a this this voice. Um, uh, uh, I've decided I'm going to talk like this today. And pepper, pepper. I don't know why I said pepper. I don't know. It just felt like. But and and then there's a moment where. I say, but I'd be proud to partake of your pecan pie. <laughs> where, where Meg looks off. You watch them. She looks off to Rob to go. No, she goes. No, I. And he goes. <laughs> and so that became a very joyous, like a kid. No, no, get back out on stage. Yeah, it became a very. You know, that was great about that set. Was um, Rob? Meg was uh, tremendous um, and very. So willing to, we knew we were doing something good, and Nora was there, of course. So it would be, you know, you'd get a nod of the head, and she'd redo it and hand it to you, or we just we just would go, and it was uh, it was a fabulous experience. Imagine having Nora Ephron live writing for you. Okay, I'll fix that. It was, you <laughs> it's know, amazing. it was, uh, it was uh, that was a beauty. That was a beauty. Wow. And do you want to? Uh, do you feel like you want to keep sort of recapturing that, or can you not? Like, is it just sort of like, it just happened that way. We just got lucky that all the right people were in the right you hope place. To, you, you hope there are lightning bugs when you, where, you know, on the next one that you can, you know, capture and put in a bottle so they glow for you, you know. But that, <clears throat> uh, that doesn't happen all the time. 
Yeah. You know, I felt it on on parental guidance with Beth that we had a really great kind of chemistry, and and um, and we did very well with you know the movie that surprised a lot of people that it was as it was good sneaky. as it was. Yeah, it was a sneaky yeah. good one. Yeah. yeah. So what are, they're they're, gonna, they're wrapping it up in a sec because you I'm sure you still have like nine more hours of press today, but uh, just sort of close. <laughs> I do, you do, you and this is this is way longer than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> but it feels short, right? No, because you're very good. You, on the other hand, I, I understand don't, that, Billy. Don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> um, yeah, fuck you, Matt. Hey, I get it. Um, um, you're like your, you're like the live internet. <laughs> what's your favorite cereal? <laughs> what's your favorite cereal? Captain Crunch. Um, but just sort of in closing, is it you know like what? What do you want to? What do you want to do? But next? wouldn't you? Wouldn't you like to hear De Niro in the kitchen in the morning? Yes. Hey, 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 hey! Who ate my Captain Crunch? <laughs> no, that was mine. That was mine. Well, I didn't I know because when he asked berries. you, you didn't no, say no, anything, no, so no, I didn't no, know. No. If it, no, no, I don't like the. I don't like the other stuff. Well, there's but, sugar smacks. There's nah, sugar. not the same thing. And the cocoa puffs. No. Well, you're not no. going to be upset. This we're at a rice dream too. There's not any more rice milk. Oh fuck! I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? He's really mad. You fuck. <laughs> you. Always <laughs> 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 something about just saying you fuck. <laughs> well, we saw Monsters University last night, and uh, and I and I loved seeing Mike Wazowski again, and I loved seeing the prequel, and, uh, and of course it's a really good movie. They they're really smart. I will say the end the end scaring situation is terrifying in a great way. Like, oh yeah, the end part is I loved it. It's loved very it. and it's also very moving. It's uh, because they're 18. It was such a great idea. You know, think about yourself making these choices about what you're going to do, where you're going to go. And Mike's that age. First of all, you have to call him Mike Wazowski. You can't, you can't call, call him Mike. Yeah. No. <clears throat> and um, to me, the quiet moments are as powerful as, as uh, dramatic moments in almost any movie I've been into. When those two guys are by the lake, oh, yeah. when, when he realizes it's not going to be what he wanted it to be, and um, his friends supporting him. It's really kind of great. I love I loved that they have room for that in this movie. And you look great playing 18. I did look good, didn't <laughs> I? Well they, well, they actually, yeah, no, I know you got to wrap up. They, I know they actually, they had the figurines here outside, and they actually made them, like, the a little, slimmer. Yeah, like it's a little younger, slimmer, and he's got younger. his hair is slightly different. Yeah. And uh, the face work is great. You don't see any scars. None. <laughs> and um, no, it's, it was they're great people to work with. Well, thanks, man. It was really a, it was absolutely a pleasure to meet you. And I and I hope that you do decide to do some touring uh, later on. Yeah, it'll be if, fun. If you get the it'll be it'll be fun. Yeah. Come yeah. back on when we need to promote the book. The book is September tenth. I open on Broadway November fifth. It's a really this is a great year, yeah. you know, man. It's so um, and then we'll see maybe in the spring. Excellent. Nice. Congratulations. Thank you, guys. Enjoy Thank your burrito. You. Hey, this is my first podcast, ladies and gentlemen. And <laughs> it's, it's not with Mark Maron. <laughs> now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Murder on My Mind, a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus, explores the circumstances leading up to the murder of two young men and the mistrials of the man accused of killing them. Up-and-coming rapper YNW Melly gained notoriety in the hip-hop world for his shocking lyrics and criminal exploits. When two of his best friends were gunned down in a drive-by shooting, investigators suspected the young rapper staged the scene. But after not one, but two trials that ended in hung juries and new evidence that may place YNW Melly at the scene of the crime, his trial has been paused indefinitely. With countless twists and turns, Law and Crime covers all angles of the case and begs the question, 
Is this young artist the victim of a witch hunt or a silver-tongued devil who's evil to the core? Listen to Murder on My Mind exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.